Good afternoon. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Hoopsville, the 15th season debut. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome to the show. Okay, you've probably already noticed a couple of the quirks. You've seen still pictures of me. We'll get to that in a minute. In the meantime, let's uh, remind everybody how you can get a hold of us. If you want to follow us on Twitter, interact with us on Twitter, you can do so at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville. We're also on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville, where we're simulcasting this semi-video show. And, of course, you can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also follow us along at Instagram, though we don't really answer questions there. It's a little bit hard, but you can do that there if you want. That is at d3hoopsville as well, just like the Twitter account. So welcome to the 2017-18 season. We are fully underway, at least in basketball. We are not quite fully underway with Hoopsville. We did a, a preseason of a number of preseason podcasts. I want to thank all of our guests. Certainly um, very um, uh, popular items. Certainly saw plenty of people checking those out and, and listening in. I hope you enjoyed them as much as we did putting them together. In the meantime, though, um, it meant that plus some other things got us a little bit behind times uh, getting our studio completely ready for video production. If you're not sure of how our season ended last year, unfortunately it ended with us having, um, well, just a wee bit problem with getting our final show on the air. I want to thank all of those who, who tried to join us. Um, and it just didn't happen. The computer has basically failed right at the end of the season before we could get our final show on the air. As a result, the computers went through an overhaul in the offseason, an expensive overhaul, um, but we're back up and running. We just couldn't get all the little bells and whistles. We got new software. We've got some new things in place. And uh, to be honest, in the offseason, also had to reprioritize some things. So some things took a back seat. We're just not quite ready for video just as of yet. We may be ready Sunday, though we're very busy between now and Sunday, so we're not 100% sure if that'll work. But most likely by Sunday after Thanksgiving, we will have the video cameras back up and running, and you will see us in all of our glory as normal. So forgive the, uh, the beauty shots, as it were, for now. Hope you don't mind those. Uh, all of our interviews are not affected by this. We will still have them in uh, certainly... Um, stellar quality there, at least audio-wise. So forgive us at least today and maybe one or two more shows of this rough, around-the-edges start to the season. We hope you don't mind. Of course, those of you listening to the podcast, albeit after the fact, doesn't matter to you. It's just audio as it has been in the preseason and elsewise. So lots to cover in the Division Three season. Let's at least start with who's going to be on our show tonight. We will start with the committee chairs. It's gotten tradition on Hoopsville in the first show or shows of the season that we talk to the committee chairs. We will start with the women's side. Bobby Morgan, head coach at Haverford, is once again for the second season, let's say second and a half season. She is the committee chair for the women's basketball committee. You might remember a couple of years ago, um, she ended up running a lot of the, of the uh, selections and bracketing because Whitewater's coach, who was the chair at the time, had to step out because Whitewater was on the bubble and in a selection for a long time. And then when it comes to bracketing, the women take a little bit more of an aggressive approach in removing everybody involved in the tournament or in the tournament in, revolves in regards to uh, bracketing. Whereas the men at least put others in, uh, if you're involved in the tournament, they end up doing something else um, along the way. They're not completely removed from the bracketing side of things. Anyway, Bobby Morgan, after serving fully last year, uh, it will join us, talk about 
what she expects from the committee this year. We'll also talk to her about what she expects from her Haverford Fords, which will have an interesting race in the Centennial Conference this season. Then we're going to hear from Tim Fitzpatrick. I already talked to him earlier today. Lengthy conversation with him. Tim likes to really make sure everybody understands what is going on. So he has a, a lengthy conversation with us about a lot of things. Uh, things that they saw from last year that they want to adjust. Things that they're looking for towards this year. The constant conversation about SOS re re versus every other piece of data. Um, where How the dynamics of the committee are fitting. The two new committee members and most importantly the decision to leave Salem we'll talk to Bobby Morgan about the decision that they're going to Salem in 2019 for a year and then in 2021 again we'll talk to the men's Tim Fitzpatrick about leaving Salem for the first time in more than 20 years we'll talk to him about that decision we'll also talk to the two number one preseason d3hoops.com top 25 teams on the women's side it is Carla Berube and on the men's of Tufts and on the men's side it is Eric Bridgeland um of Whitman. We'll talk to Eric first, talk to him about uh, how he sees the Blues this season. No longer a surprise to anybody as the preseason number one. Talk to him about what he expects from his team, the fact that everybody is back. What does that really mean? How do they stay focused? And and really, what was the turning point? I kind of triggered on one particular game in mind that might have been the trigger point, might have been the turning point, might have been the point that let this program evolve to where they are now. We'll talk to him. All about that. And then we'll talk to Carly Berube from Tufts. First time that I can remember, and maybe I'm wrong, first time I can remember that they are starting at least, of course, number one preseason, but ahead and out from behind Amherst, as it were. What does that mean? Amherst is certainly going to be good again. Is Tufts really going to be the top dog in the NESCAC this year? We'll talk to Carly Berube about that. And then, if nobody has noticed, the Hoopsville Classic not part, uh, taking place this year. But there are still top 25 teams getting together around the country. One of those places happens to be the new uh, Great Lakes Invitational. We'll talk to Ryan Winnable, uh, who runs his own podcast out of the Great Lakes. He decided to come up with this brainchild. We'll talk to him about the events of the games taking place this coming weekend at Marietta College. So that's all ahead, plus answering your questions. Should you have any, again, email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. You can also join us on Twitter at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. Uh, so on and so forth. Lots of places you can get a hold of us, uh, and certainly even on um, YouTube's chat panel. Uh, we usually have the uh, chat panel open. I just noticed, oh, there it is. They've actually changed their page. The live chat is easier to find for us, so that's lovely. So that's how you get to us. Uh, obviously, games have started already this season. Uh, we have a handful of games going on tonight. Uh, Norwich, a top 25 team in the country, is playing Mass Boston tonight. We'll keep an eye on that game. There's a few other men's games going on. Also on the women's side, a few games going on. Nothing uh, major uh, or blockbuster uh, to report. Uh, it was really last night where things got going. One of the big num uh, results was uh, Hobart defeated number 19 St. John Fisher, 87-75. This may say a lot about a lot of things. Uh, first off, Hobart was picked to finish first in the Liberty League by the preseason poll. Shot very well, and St. John Fisher has lost their coach, Rob Corniker, in the offseason. Uh, he has he resigned, um, and they obviously lost their best player in the offseason due to graduation. St. John Fisher was ranked. I know as I was, I ranked them, I was kind of leery. Am I buying in too much, maybe, that they've still got talent? Their assistant coach who's become a head coach is certainly one who's been with that system. 
but maybe that's too much. Or Hobart might be pretty darn good. So uh, that was a big result from last night on the 15th. Christopher Newport, the number 14th ranked team in the country, um, beat Randolph-Macon in a tough battle. But interestingly enough, we got to figure out what's going on in Christopher Newport. I was told Marcus Carter probably might not play early in the season. He played a lot of the preseason, only played five minutes against Randolph-Macon before apparently maybe injuring his ankle. This is after reportedly coming off of surgery this offseason. In the meantime, McFarland did not play, which caught everybody off guard. Um, so we're not really sure what's going on with, with the captains. In the meantime, St. Norbert proved once again, to some degree, we'll have to watch them through the rest of the season. Every time we think they've lost a lot and they're going to finally take a step back from where they've been, they go and beat somebody early on. You go, okay, maybe not. Well, they beat Eau Claire. Now, granted, Eau Claire lost one of its best players in the offseason just due to circumstances. Um, so maybe we're seeing a combination of things here. Maybe, once again, St. Norbert has reloaded themselves, and Eau Claire is trying to figure themselves out. Of course, Eau Claire also lost their number one assistant coach. We talked to Greg Polkowski in the final podcast of the preseason. Talk to him about going to Superior. All these dynamics can change just the rhythm of a team, but obviously it's also just game one. We've got to get uh, figure things out a little bit. Babson opened its uh, title defense, as it were, and for the first season without Joey Flannery. They defeated LaSalle pretty easily, 95-64. bring it up mainly because they got their championship game uh, rings in preseason. Uh, on the women's side, there were a couple of upsets of top 25 foes. Marymount and uh, Mary Washington, both CAC teams for this year, ha lost. Randolph-Macon beat Marymount, and Washington Lee beat Mary, Mary Washington. Uh, Marymount, the 14th-ranked team, lost by five. And Mary Washington, the 24th-ranked team, also lost by five. Um, Muhlenberg got off to a good start, thanks to, once again, Brandy Valley and Chelsea Gray, who had double-doubles in their win over uh, Moravian. So an interesting night last night. Another note that jumped out at me on the opening night of the season was Stevens Point. Now, we'll uh, talk about them in, in just a bit in more detail. Um, but Stevens Point uh, got beat by St. Olaf 60-45. So you could argue it's a Stevens Point game, really low scoring. The interesting thing here is that St. Olaf beat Stevens Point at Stevens Point by 15. Now, a lot is going on at Stevens Point. First and foremost, they still have that investigation going on, which we were talking about a year ago. Now, in a year ago, December, we finally got more information. Since then, we were told that the investigation would end in the um, April time frame, that it would go to the Committee of Infractions by that point. We probably have an answer, or at least maybe even an answer by the Committee of Infractions by April or May. In other words, whatever punishments were going to be handed down on top of whatever the school had already handed themselves in December. And even before that, school has actually technically punished itself twice now. You may remember, a lot of people forget, that they took a couple preseason practices away from themselves last season. Then in December, put a couple more things in place, including a WIAC postseason ban and NCAA postseason ban and parked Bob Semling for the final 13 games of the season, having Kent... Um, his assistant coach can't take over the program instead, um, Kent Durback. Uh, I have a feeling a third set of punishments is coming. Uh, I don't think this has gotten dragged out. It's gotten convoluted in some senses. It's gotten really muddy and messy. Um, I have learned a lot in the offseason as to what's going on in the Stevens Point investigation. A lot of it I cannot report 
publicly. It's going to have to wait, but I can tell you this much that it has gotten complicated. Uh, the school has been working with the NCA, going through a certain phase where it, you know the investigation could come out. School doesn't cooperate except for being part of the investigation. The investigator writes his report, hands it to the committee infractions. Committee infractions reads the report, has a hearing with the school, discusses the report, etc., or whatever the case may be, and then comes out with their own final report. The, and and that, that don't have the order specifically right there. In this case, the investigation is done. They come to Stevens Point and say, here is what we have found. Stevens Point then made this choice. They made the choice of saying, okay, we will work with you. We will try and find what is wrong with this report, what we need to fix, what punishments need to be put in place, et cetera. Then that supplemental basically decision is handed to the committee on fractions who can then make a decision from there, whether to rubber stamp that decision or hand down their additional um, punishments. I've been told a third party has gotten involved, and I'll leave it at that, um, which has made this com more complicated. Here's what I will say with a, a, a certain degree of confidence, a, a large degree of confidence. At this point, for the most part, I don't believe anything's going to happen to Stevens Point this season, or at the very least, nothing's going to happen to Bob Semling this season and here's how i mean that the best of my knowledge the report has not been given to the committee of infractions and remember the committee of infractions is is division three zone it's the same one that handed down the thomas more punishment the baruch punishments there were several cases in the in the off season as well far smaller some of them went through the supplemental uh situation and were basically rubber stamped by the committee of infractions elmerst comes to mind on that just a few weeks ago so it gets handed to the committee of infractions, and, and what I'm under the impression, I believe, I think it's written in the bylaws, if not, I've been basically told this by a couple of sources, it, the committee of infractions has up until eight weeks to file, file the answer or come up with their verdict, as it were. So, best of my knowledge, committee of infractions does not have it as of November 15th. Make it eight weeks. Let's just round it and make it easy. That makes it January 15th at the very latest that we would even see a report if the report had been handed in on November 15th. So already we're into January now. Then anybody or any school implicated slash punished has the right to appeal. That opens up another window. Now, I can't remember if that window was eight weeks or 12 weeks. I don't remember specifically. But as you can do math, even if it's only eight weeks, we are now all the way through the championship weekend before an appeals process at the very least would be finished. So let's just say worst case scenario, and, and I'm I have no information to ever indicate this, but let's just go worst case scenario. Committee on Fractions comes back in mid-January and says Bob Semling has got a show of cause, which basically is a a major punishment, and it's for whatever amount of years. Even if it's for one year, it doesn't matter. One year, two years, five years, doesn't matter how many years. He has a show of cause slapped on him. He will immediately appeal that. And since he immediately appeals that, any punishment will hand, that should be handed down will not be handed down until that appeals process is over. Thus, there's no way Bob Semling is coming off the bench this season. That said, if the committee infractions got the report yesterday, and we just don't know it yet, and decide to take one week to file their answer, which is certainly plausible, but highly unlikely, then we get the answer next week. That timeline starts, and now we're near the end of the season before the appeals process would be concluded. 
So the only chance, only chance I see that Stevens Point's going to be affected by anything at this point in time is if the committee infractions gets a report almost any day and then quickly turns it around, let's say less than a month. I just don't see, there's no indication right now to me that says they're getting a report anytime soon, hopefully by the end of the year, but I, I don't know if it's going to happen in the next week or two. And I don't see why the committee infractions in this particular case, especially, would then take anywhere less than maybe six weeks. Because I think they're going to want to take their time with this and make sure they understand it, because I think it's that big a case. So with all intents and purposes, I don't see this affecting Stevens Point's season. I don't affect, see this affecting Bob Semling this season, etc. We can talk about possible punishments down the road, not worth getting into tonight. Um, we need more information, basically, before we can get that far. That all said, I don't think the dragging out of this supplemental stage the conversations the school, NCAA, and third party are having is benefiting the program. I think we've gotten to a point where this is now officially hurting the program. And there, there's a couple reasons I say that. One, they lost to St. Olaf, who's good. Don't get me wrong, they're good. But they lost to St. Olaf by 15 points last night. They also lost their assistant coach, Kent Dernbeck, who went to become head coach of lacrosse. You heard him in our last preseason podcast. Dragging this out, though, only prolongs what basically is the inevitable. Whatever the inevitable is, it's delaying it. It's either going to happen middle of the season, end of this season, whatever the case may be, it now affects. So let's just say the school got a punishment of a two-year probation or a two-year punishment, two years of no postseason, okay? If it comes down this year and, the, and that's appealed, then it doesn't kick in for two years. If it already had come down this summer, then this year would have gotten one year out of the way. So now you're pushing this, whatever potential punishment could be coming, and maybe no punishment comes, but you're pushing this potential punishment down the road. You are waiting for this to happen. At this point, I'm really hoping it doesn't happen. Now, Kent Dernbach was on our podcast and said he feels that when the investigation comes out, it's going to paint the program in a, in a, in a good light, essentially. Bob Semling said that to me a year ago. He said that to other people in the press. He said in the offseason during the summer that this would be wrapped up before the academic year started. So far, nothing Bob has said has been accurate. And nothing against what Kent said about painting in a bright in a in a good light. If it was going to be painted in a good light, this supplemental stage, these negotiations would not be getting dragged out. Plain and simple, there has to be something in there that does not paint somebody, the program, the school, whatever, in a good light, or this would not be getting dragged out. Does that make sense? So we got to get going with the rest of the show. But suffice it to say. I feel the parties at bay at B and I and we'll leave it at that. Whoever is the parties are that are dragging this out, and I can't say who it is. I'm pretty sure it's not the NCAA. They want to wrap it up. I think it's starting to hurt the program at this point. And and this season I don't is gonna be interesting for Stevens Point. I think they rallied from last year, but they had a bunch of seniors. They're rebuilding. I had a coach in the region say to me, hey. Stevens Point has fallen down quick. This this isn't good, people. I, I don't pe think people close to it understand how much this is hurt, starting to hurt the program. And maybe there is no punishment that will ultimately hurt the program, but dragging this out is hurting everything. There, there's a cloud over the school, and that's got to be hurting um, recruiting. 
Am I basing this off of one 15-point loss to St. Olaf? No. I've had this thought before the season started. I've had this thought for two months, and I've shared it with certain individuals. But the 15-point loss to St. Olaf is the canary in the coal mine. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried for Stevens Point. I'm a little worried for their fans. I hope it's not the case, but we'll see. We'll certainly circle back on the Stevens Point story many times in the upcoming season. It is not going away anytime soon. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk to Bobby Morgan, head coach at Haverford, about her team and about about the uh, committee, uh, the uh, national committee. I'm sorry, got committee infractions in my head. We'll talk to her coming up. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com. From the WBCA and ABC studios, more on those two entities later in the show. We'll be back after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. Sorry for the delay, folks. The commercial re-aired, and then, again, we're working with new software, and then for some reason, the system got muted. Makes no sense at all, 
But we are back here on Hoops, so we apologize. We always have technical difficulties because we're always trying to improve in the offseason, the show. But we never have enough time to truly test it. <laughs> uh, and we're testing it. And, of course, being live is different. The preseason podcasts were easy. They weren't live. I could put those together, and if there were gremlins, I fixed, figured them out before it hit the air. Now I got gremlins, and I can't figure them out while I'm on air. Anyway, uh, if you got any questions for us or our guests, tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We talked about the Women's Basketball Committee as we went to break, just saying that you know Bobby Morgan is the chair once again, head coach at Haverford, and she now joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Oh, didn't hit the button. We'll try that again. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Uh, thank you for having me, Dave. I appreciate you working through the gremlins with me. That's okay. <laughs> I can only imagine what it sounds like to those on the other end listening to me fight through the system by myself. This is why most of these shows that are that are a little bit higher tech have like six people running them. Um, That's all right. Coach, first and foremost, I hope you enjoyed your off season. Um, I know it wasn't exactly uh, a breeze. You have lots of responsibilities, both at Haverford with your team and now with the NCAA or have been with the NCAA, but... I assume it was a good offseason. I'm sure you're glad that the season's here. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we're all excited. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, has that their eye on November 15th every year. So uh, it's here. We're excited. Yeah, it's definitely here. By the way, it's passed. Um, we'll talk <laughs> about your team in just a moment, but let's talk about the committee a little bit. Uh, coming up, we'll talk to Tim Fitzpatrick on the men's side from Coast Guard. Um, I know that in every offseason, uh, a few months after the tournament, each committee gets together kind of after things have been uh, died down, as it were, and the emotions of, of just the, the highs and the lows uh, have been removed. You guys go and look back at how, the, how you think you did as, as a committee, how you think the tournament turned out, et cetera. What, what was basically the, the, um, the, the thought from, from last year now that you had a chance to really sit back and look at it from a, from a cleaner point of view? I mean, I mean, overall, we were we were extremely pleased with last year's tournament. I mean, you know, the the championship game was not as as expected as it turned out between Tufts and Amherst and the great games that they had had leading up to it. But we do think at the end of the day, the finals, and uh, it was just you know the folks at Calvin were amazing to work with. They did a tremendous job. Uh, they've hosted quite a few championships in, in different sports, and, and they are first class. And, you know, I guess the challenge is you have Tufts and Amherst playing in Calvin, Michigan. So from a <laughs> fan base, that, that, that's the tough part. But yeah. um, from all accounts, we felt it was great. I mean, really, primarily this off season, you know, the new business was that the uh, that we're going to have a court, national coordinator of officials for Division Three yeah. women's basketball. Um, and that's pretty exciting. I mean, Mary Toberman was selected. We had a great pool of candidates. And, you know, we're not quite sure what it's going to look like. I think it's going to be one of these positions that will grow and evolve. But we now have somebody that's really going to oversee trying to get the very best officials from throughout the region working the NCAA games, um, kind of a more of a streamlined evaluation process to keep track of. And uh, I think it's going to really make make the tournament uh, better in you know in the long run. We got a chance to talk to the men's uh, national coordinator uh, in the er, in the preseason uh, as part of our podcast. We look forward to maybe talking to the women's coordinator at a later date on these shows. And we talked to Tim Fitzpatrick as well. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, this is certainly something that's evolved from the D one model. There wasn't enough. 
um, basically time in the day for the women's coordinator for all of NCAA to help out all the lower divisions as well as D1. So this is a move to give D3 its opportunity and, as you say, really help out the postseason. But I almost want to say, too, from watching watching officiating as much as I do because I go around the country, it's really maybe going to hopefully help out the, the game across the board so that the game you're playing at Haverford is very similar to the game that's being played in Chicago, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's obviously one of the goals. I think that the thing that I have seen in my last three years in working on the national committee is that when we do get to the elite level, um, the regional coordinators of officials have been putting forth their best folks every year anyway. And overall, they've done a tremendous job. And, you know, obviously, you know, when we collect the evaluations from the coaches at all the NCAA games, there tends to be skewed with the winning coach and the losing <laughs> coach. I mean, that's human nature. But, yeah. you know, there's a, there's the committee itself is a pretty objective set of eyes, and most of us are coaches. So, I mean, I feel like we've had the cream of the crop anyway, but I think that, that consistency of and, and that's obviously a goal of the NCAA and the officiating folks across Division One, Two, II, and Three is to really let's let's call it consistent from November to March, April, and and really you know make the game better. And I think Mary's children, the woman we hired, she's been an official at all different levels. And what impressed us most about her was her passion for Division Three, and she kind of understood that you know we have different tables. And different, you know, we have students on table crews. We have, it's right. not that big division one model. She <laughs> got that. And, and, but she also had great ideas of how we can make it better. So we were very excited uh, to have her join us. Now, that was one piece of business, certainly. Um, and we'll, we'll cover that in far more detail later. If you want to hear the men's point of view again on our preseason podcast, we may bring that back on Sunday's show. Um, when you look at the other work you guys had to do, one of them had to do, uh, we didn't get a chance to really talk about it. It was during last season. We didn't get a chance to talk to you about it because it hadn't happened as of yet. But you all decided what your championship sites would be starting in 2019 for four years. I think a couple things I discovered there that was interesting. One, continuing the move around mentality that we've had in Division Three women's. I know there's been a lot of talk of finding a quote-unquote home, um, and maybe not permanently, but at least for a longer period of time. Didn't exactly evolve in these decisions, but... You are looking to be, seems like you're putting your toe in the water for the Salem experience. <laughs> you have two, two years there in four, 19 and 21. So it seems like you're dipping your toe just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the challenge with kids um, is, is where you know, we need to know we have to go to places that want us. Right. So not every year, that, you know, no, no one can no one's for, me for forever, then we're not going to be able to do that. Sure. But I think that at least the rationale for us was, you know, Salem obviously has they did a tremendous job for the men for all those years, and that they're equally as excited to host the women. Um, so I think that going there twice could, you know, it could potentially, I can't speak for what the thoughts will be long-term, truthfully, sure. but I think it's, it's certainly going to give us a chance to look at that. Um, you know, we were at Calvin's place in the last four years, and you know, it's kind of nice to go back to a place that, that you know, it's a little machine, basically, when, when you do it more than once. Um, so we're excited to go to Salem, and I know that they, you know, they're just a yeah, so you great. They'll put on a great for, sure. for the women. And we should point out, it's going to be at the, uh, the site is actually at Roanoke College, the Kreger Center, right. which is their 
um, brand new basketball arena at the college, which is literally two miles from the Salem Civic Center, but it's not at the Salem Civic Center. Just just a little detail. We can cover right. that at a later and it's time. Beautiful. Oh, it it's gorgeous. A beautiful facility. Yep. Yeah. And um, but the city itself, I mean, in the you know that they've kind of embraced the 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 NCAA and the basketball. So I think from that standpoint, we're excited. Um, and we're also going to Columbus, um, you know, two years ago when we had the combined championship, Division yep. One, Two, II, and Three. Uh, Dixie Jeffers um, did a fantastic job uh, hosting us at Capitol, and um, I know that that'll be a great experience there too. And and that was a that was a community, not just the college, but right. the entire community of Columbus. I mean, their sports folks. I mean. They really embraced it, and they're having the Division One championship there this year. So exactly. I think that'll be a great experience. Yeah, the D one experience should be amazing. I talked to Dixie in the off season about all of that, plus the D three side of things, and she is beyond excited. Though a lot of people are turning to her too uh, to see if she can do some heavy lifting. Um, so that was that business. Obviously, we'll have a few other locations this year for anybody who's curious. You're heading out to Rochester, Minnesota. Um, we are. That should be fun, though. Uh, I hope it's not too cold for you, ladies uh, or gentlemen. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, it's it's you know it's interesting because that is an off-campus site. Yeah, um, I actually um, will be going out there in December for a visit. To um, we'll be taking a look and going through the facility. So uh, I'll have more information about what that will be like after that visit. But uh, those folks are very excited. They obviously um, they were in attendance at last year's finals, as they often do to to kind of get the lay of the land and get an idea of what sure. the expectations will be. And, you know, it's a lot to host a championship. Yep. It requires a lot of staffing, a lot of work. And, um, you know, we haven't been anywhere yet that they didn't do all they could to make it a great experience for the kids. So I'm sure these sites will do the same. I agree with you. Um, quickly, let's switch gears and look ahead now. And you've had a chance to look back at your season that you guys had. Now you're looking ahead at the season you have ahead of you. When you look at what you guys want to accomplish as a committee and what you want your racks to, to accomplish, any tweaks, any adjustments, anything you think is working, anything you think you still need to polish up a little bit? Well, I mean, I mean, of course, there's always things that we would say polish up. I mean, there's not one thing specific. I mean, and I think I've said this to you before, that my experience on the National Committee has been fantastic because, you know, I had heard from people throughout different committees, sports committees, that they can sometimes be very polarized in terms of people just advocating for their own regions without trying to get the best teams possible in the tournament. And I think we've had just the opposite. Um, The folks on the committee that I've worked with have, you know, we start with the saying that we want to get the best teams from across the country in this tournament, and we work really, really hard at that. So, I, you know, our focus hasn't changed. Our philosophy hasn't changed. It still comes down to those last few teams, and those are gut-wrenching decisions. And there's always an argument for either way when you get down to the end. But, you know, I think the system that's in place works. We're going to add um, – they're going to be looking in the secondary uh, criteria now, that, that additional category. I believe they're going to have that in for us. We talked about it. I'm not, I'm not sure positive it's going to be there, but the strength of victory – will now be in the secondary criteria, which will give us one more thing to kind of look at, another way to break down the strength of schedule. And that may add a little bit more to help us make our final decisions. I'm not sure. 
Um, but, you know, that's where we are. Now quickly, Bobby, what do you mean by strength of victory? Some people are going to misconstrue that, I'm sure. Oh, you mean well, and, win margin? Uh, it's not exactly that, well, right? No, it's, it's looking at the quality um, of the victories. And honestly, I don't want to misspeak. I don't sure. have it in front of me. Understand. Um, yeah, I don't have it in front of me. But essentially, it was a different, it was a different way of looking um, at the strength of wins. And it was actually presented to us and other NCAA committees um, in spring and summer of, hey, like, here's another thing that we can potentially look at. And we talked about, you know, could this be a primary criteria? And I think the thought was, again, because maybe because we really don't know how it's going to impact what we're doing now, that we put it into the secondary criteria so that we can, if need to, we'll take a peek and then we'll see, you know, is this going to help us make decisions? Um, so I, I wish if I had it in front of me, I could be able to give you exactly what it means. But it's essentially it's another way of looking at um, of what your, your strength of schedule looks like. But it's kind of delving down a little deeper into your wins. At least it's a secondary criteria. But we also know a lot of times when you're deep into the decision making processes, secondary criteria becomes a pretty important factor. Um, and so we'll fa- I'll be fascinated to hear how that works out. Love to chat with you more about it. Obviously, we tend to talk to the committee chairs in, in late January excuse me, as well, before the rankings come out. So we'll probably learn more about that then. But I appreciate you at least mentioning it. What do you hope to at least let your racks know uh, this season? I I know it's very hard to get not only the National Committee all on the same page, but you can do that. But then get all these other committees on the same page is even more challenging because it's different in each region. They may value things differently. How how hard is it, and what do you hope to kind of drive home to them this season? Well, I mean, you, you know, the, the challenge with the racks is that they change. In fact, mine has completely turned over. Yeah. And so, um, you know, truthfully, the NCAA folks, Kelly Whitaker leads the charge and Ethan Walker. I mean, we have a rack training call in January, essentially, is the NCAA leads and directs that. Um, obviously, we're kind of working for them and they work for us, however you want to look at it. But Essentially, they're going to go over all of the primary criteria, all of the secondary criteria, and kind of create the model that we've been following for the last four years. So, you know, as to what we want to create, I mean, we want to follow the guidelines that the NCAA has put forth for us and stay consistent from region to region. And again, you know, we will do that because, you know, even if a region kind of digresses a little bit, the national committee members are going to be on that call the next day. And we're going to be able to say, wait a minute, we've got to stay. We we want to make decisions the same way across the country. So, um, who are your new committee members? I'm looking at the roster in front of me, and I'll be honest, I, I think this one might be old. Um, Tell, they'll read it off to me. It'll probably be easier. That's easy. Fine. In the West Region, it says from the Skyac, it's Leslie Irvine. She's still on. That's what it says. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Until, yep. Still on. Okay. Yep. And then David Petroff from Edgewood College, yep. representing the NAACC. Still there. I know he's. Yep. A, it says you're still on it, so that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> and then in Karen Harvey. Yep. Um, now it says on. till 2021, um, but she's already been on, correct? Yeah, she came in in kind of a weird situation, and they actually gave her like an additional term. Um, okay. So I guess that gotcha. she actually I think could end up being on for six years. But that's possible. But that ha- that helps answer the question. Then I wasn't sure what they meant by eligible for reappointment. In other words, she's been reappointed. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah. new one would I guess would be Polly Tom Thomason then from po- Texas Dallas. In the South, yes, Polly. Yep. I think Polly is the only new committee member. Yeah, because yeah. Karen got reassigned. Yep. Yep. Kelly Thompson's back. Jim Scheibel's back. Yep, and Kristen um, Hoffman. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. It's, and Chris Hoffman and Paul. Yep. yep. So that's, I mean, that's, by the way, that's one dynamic group. I, I, it I, is. I love everybody there for a different role. I feel bad for David Petroff. Um, right. I, I know David <laughs> because he's absolutely <laughs> surrounded with some very powerful people. <laughs> well, you know, the only, the only real challenge, honestly, is that we've got some really great coaches who tend to have really great teams. Yeah, that is, um, yeah. That can be in the tournament. And, and I mean, that's a plus and a minus, but it can, it, it can make it a little bit thinner there when we get down to um, bracketing. I'm but curious about that. Jump off. Because the men's side, they've at least tried to find a way to keep those people involved if they're maybe working on a bracket that's completely unrelated to their side of the bracket. Let's just argumentatively say somebody's located in the northwest corner, so they work on the, uh, the upper west left corner, so they work on the lower right corner. Has there been any talk on the women's side of still trying to keep them on the call to help with all the heavy lifting, but completely away from their own from their own yeah. area? Not, not in the time that I've been there. And, and I think, you know, in respect to the integrity of the process, um, you know, folks that are in the tournament shouldn't be involved in the bracketing in any way, shape, or form. Because even if they've got teams that could potentially they don't want to play or stay away from, I, I think, the, you know, I think keeping them off the call is, is probably the, the safest way to go. And even though I trust them in, and I'm sure that they wouldn't do that, that leaves any questions that could happen from other folks. You know, if they weren't off in the actual bracketing and on the call. Uh, we can certainly uh, dive into all that at another time. Certainly, I don't want to go into the, what they call the minutia sometimes on those details. So we'll we'll cross that bridge. But it'd be fascinating to hear how that all works for you guys. Um, let's switch gears to your team before we run out of time. Um, heading into the season, already got a win. So congratulations. Yeah. Uh, got a win over E-Town last night, 62-58. That's, that's a hard-fought victory. E-Town's no slouch, that's for sure. Um, and then this weekend you're at Gwinnett, uh, what, you're going to be at Gwinnett Mercy, I believe? Yeah, we're at the Gwinnett yep. uh, Mercy Football Tournament with so, Sage and uh, Penn State Harrisburg. Gotcha. And, and then conference tur- action d- starts right around the corner. You'll take on our sinus yep. Tuesday before Mercy. Thanksgiving, and then Bryn Mawr and F&M before getting – you got a, you got an interesting out of conference schedule. You also have Stevens on there. You have Immaculata. Um, you've got a nice out of conference schedule, though. Obviously, eaten up a lot by conference games. What do you expect of the season? Well, I mean, it, it, our challenge is that we play twenty conference games, yeah. and um, and it's you know it's funny. I just had a conversation with someone from the new Mac because of, when you play twenty conference games, it does some interesting things to your SOS, right? Yeah, kills it. Um, <laughs> it. It does. It kills it. It, it does. Yeah. And no matter you know you. And and our five conference games, I mean, you know, we, we, we go to a tip-off and then we typically play, you know, a, a MAC team and then, you know, somebody regionally. But, right. um, you know, we're excited. I, mean, our, I think the Centennial Conference is going to be outstanding this year. Yeah. Um, the top teams, you know, Muhlenberg won last year. They have all their starters back. Gettysburg has all their starters back, and they beat us in the semis. We have all our starters back. And I think that you're going to see some other teams, you know, F&M or Sinus, Dickinson, Hopkins. They're, you know, they're, I think there's a lot of quality teams in, in the conference, and I think it's going, to be, it's going to be fun, but it's going to be a grind because it's yeah. 20 games and they're all going to be important. So Definitely reminds me of the conference a few years ago when four teams at the top, you know, all vying for national tournament opportunities. Um, yeah, not yeah. sure how good that will be, but you, as you point out, a lot of teams bring back a lot of starters. Some coaching changes, um, especially at Hopkins, but that even affected Dickinson. Um, we'll be fascinated to see where it goes. But do you do you have high expectations for the team? You say all your starters back. That usually bodes well, but what does it really mean? I mean, absolutely we have high expectations. I mean, you know, we ended up 
uh, I guess we clinched first place last year in the regular season just by a whisker. Yeah. Um, and really, there were, to me, there were four teams that could have taken that spot. We were that all that close. Um, but you know, our expectations certainly are high. We want to be, we want to be in that race. And I don't think there's a front runner, truthfully. I think that it's going to depend on who can stay healthy and, you know, not have that stretch of two weeks where everybody has some kind of (laughs) flu when you play, you know, eight league games. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we, we think we can contend and we've got two really great seniors, um, Sam Wetzel and Sierra Burkell have both been pretty much four-year contributors in the post. And Sam Wetzel was the Scholar-Athlete of the Year in the conference, and Sierra was first-team all-conference. And I think she could potentially be a a candidate for All-American. She's just a great, great post player. So, you know, we've got all the pieces. We've got some new freshmen. um, But like I said, everybody in our conference is good. So every game will be tough. Well, Coach, appreciate you taking the time to join us, uh, chat a little bit of business, and, and talk about your team. I'd love to talk more, but uh, I know you got a busy night ahead of you with the tournament coming up, and we got more to go to. So appreciate you nonetheless, and look forward to chatting with you down the road, maybe even running into you at a game in the future. Uh, as always, though, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? No, I just want to wish everybody good luck. I hope everybody has a, a fun and successful season, and um, that the tournament ends up being the best one yet. All right. Very good. Thanks, Coach. Take right. care. Good luck. Take care. Bye-bye. Bobby Morgan joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline. It's going to be fascinating to see where things go. Um, I think that dynamic with the um, strength of victory, as it were called, um, I have to double-check if the men are adding that. I'm not sure if they are. But then again, remember, the men have a different SOS math than the women do. Be interesting to see how that works. I, I get the premise. I get what it what it means on paper. I, I just haven't been able to dive in, understand it completely, and see how it how it fully affects itself. I also it'd be nice to see if the women's committee can find a way to keep people involved. Now, I will admit they tend to have more coaches for whatever reason because with the SWA rules, a lot of these individuals end up being SWAs at their schools. For example, Bobby Morgan is is an SWA. Um, Kelly Thompson is compliance. Um, Kristen Hoffman is an assistant athletics director. So right there, I just mentioned you, you know, technically three administrative persons, David Petrov's an AD, he's admin and and Leslie Irvine's an AD. So you have five technical admins or administrators on the, on this crew, but we end up getting a lot more coaches. And as a result, they, they feel it's more appropriate to take them off the call. Whereas the men's side, we tend to have more admins who aren't coaches, if that makes any sense. So I don't know. We'll see how this all works out um, in the long run. Got a lot to get to, and we've got to get going. So we're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk to the men's committee chair. Tim Fitzgerald joins me. He has a lengthy conversation about how things he thinks are going on the men's side. You listen to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, It's more than that, a lot more. 
Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. College basketball. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show, the first season show of the year. Yes, you don't see any video. We apologize about that. Having some... Challenges getting the new studio back up and running. It's not going to look tremendously different to you, but we had a lot of changes and had to prioritize things. And we figured we could just do this audio wise for a show or two, and then we'll get you that video back up as we always do. Talk to the women's committee chair just then. Let's talk to the men's committee chair. Tim Fitzpatrick joined me on Hoopsville earlier to discuss um, what he saw as the challenges ahead for his committee, while at the same time, discussing what the challenges were in the past, including the decision to go with beyond Salem for the future of the national championships. We talked to Tim Fitzpatrick. Now join me on the Hoopsville Hotline. It is the Athletics Director for the U.S. Coast Guard and this year Men's Basketball Committee Chair, Tim Fitzpatrick. Sir, welcome to the Hoopsville. Thank you, Dave. Great to be with you. I appreciate you taking the time. You and I have known each other for a few years now with your work on the committee. Had some great conversations, uh, both with a, a beverage in our hand and over the phone. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to join us. But at the same time, congratulations on 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 the chairmanship, as it were. I know you're you've been looking forward to to this year in particular, have you not? I sure have. I sure have. It's really a great honor to be be able to do this. And uh, as I've mentioned, I think to you. Uh, a couple times, you know, when you first get, when you first become a member of this committee, you're just not aware of how much goes into it and what the commitment is, not only of time, but of research and just the the diligence that goes into the work that the committee does. It's really been impressive to me and to have a chance to share it is really an honor, a real professional and personal honor for me. We should point out for those who may not be familiar, you have a lot of background in basketball um, may not be as a coach per se, but uh, Bob Knight and Indiana University certainly uh, will come to mind when talking about Mr. Fitzpatrick here. <laughs> I did not have the pleasure of working with no. Coach Knight, but I know <laughs> him rather well. The, the um, umbrella and the aura, though, is is thick. <laughs> well, yes, and I have a I have a and a couple connections to him actually. One is certainly my time at Indiana, but my first connection to Coach Knight came through West Point. Actually, right. where I was this uh, associate athletic director, and the, and then the senior associate athletic director, uh, when I became 
when I had a chance to visit with Coach Knight through some, you know, some colleagues and associates, uh, almost all of our conversations focused on West Point and people that we knew, and mostly on people that uh, inspired him. And I know that uh, this may sound interesting to you. I think it will to you particularly when I was in my Division One position at uh, Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Um, I reached out to Coach Knight for some help with information on candidates. Hmm. Uh, because at the time, there was potential for his son, Pat, to be a candidate oh. at Corpus Christi. And it turned out Pat was not interested, but um, – you know, Coach offered his help to me, and I remember a late-night conversation with him that we were ostensibly supposed to be talking about candidates when the vast majority of the conversation was about, you know, officers who inspired him, some of which I had gotten to meet and some of which I hadn't. But also he talked about the, you know, the fact that uh, the, the time at West Point, the significant positive impact it had on him as a leader. And then just the, you know, the, with all of his experiences that he had in life, ranging from, of course, Ohio State to you know, West Point to Ohio State to Indiana, and then finally to Texas Tech, that he always knew that his leadership strategy and philosophy was grounded in things that he had learned at the U.S. Military Academy. Certainly fascinating, uh, to say the least. And you then ran, or not ran, but you were part of, I guess, I guess ran is the right word, uh, in the sense of the administrative side, the Indiana basketball program. And that's kind of where... You truly got your hooks. I mean, you've been had your hooks in basketball for a long time, but that's really where you got a lot of this, and then moved on from there. That's true. I was um, I was the basketball. Originally, my first administrative experience over basketball was actually at the University of Pittsburgh, and then uh, after that, during my time at West Point, and then at Indiana, and uh, you know, just uh, being having any connection to Indiana basketball and Big Ten basketball is really it's it's a fascinating thing. That's for sure. Just the uh, the tremendous appreciation and love for the game of basketball that uh, Indiana natives and residents have is something that, you know, I, I had never seen anything like that before. Mm. And I'm not sure I'll ever see anything like sure. it again. You can probably appreciate then Nancy Fay on the women's side going from WashU to Illinois as head coach uh, in the reverse order. You should point out, by the way, seven or so years as director of athletics at the Coast Guard. Um, Coast Guard has certainly come a long way under your tutelage, and now you're the chair of the men's basketball committee in your fourth year. It's, is it correct? It's you and uh, Greenville's head coach in your fourth years, correct? Yeah, George Barber and I are the senior members of the committee. <laughs> that's, that's, that's absolutely correct. No age in, in, indicated. No age indicated. <laughs> uh, we will keep that out of that. There but you um, Thank you. I know you're busy with this nonetheless. Again, you and I have talked over a number of years as your term on the on the committee has progressed, and uh, as always, we have rotations, two on, two off, basically, is, is kind of the rotation after a couple of weird years a few years ago. Uh, so you have two new members. We should point out who's leaving. Uh, the Atlantic chair has left, the uh, Skyline commissioner, and the other one was our obviously our chair from last time, Calvin's head coach, Cal, Cal, uh, Kevin Vandestreek. Who replaces those two individuals? Uh, Chuck Breen, who's the basketball coach at Ramapo College, is joining us, as is uh, Leonard Trevino, who's the athletic director at Chatham University in Pittsburgh. Those are our two new members for this year. Can you do me a favor? Tell Leonard I said hello. Uh, Leonard Trevino, former Goucher head coach, my alma mater. I got my first job as a, as a public address announcer under Leonard. Uh, he and I go way back, and I remember when he was on the rack in the Mid-Atlantic um, he, he let's say he changed his ideas of things in the way that national and rack situated 
uh, came up was fascinating. I'm gr- I'm glad Leonard's on there. I'm going to be glad to see him in Salem. Um, so that's your rack. It goes along with the other six. If anyone wants to look it up, you can always call me. I can give you the names rattled off, or you can find them online. Um, you guys have a little bit of an interesting year ahead of you, sir. Um, first and foremost, it will be our last year in Salem, at least for the foreseeable future. The announcements came out after the season was done on what the next four years will be, starting in 2019 in men's basketball. You guys have decided to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana for four years, leaving Salem behind. Uh, a little bit bittersweet decision, I know, but we haven't had a chance to discuss it. Can you kind of give everybody an insight on, on what led you guys to that decision after so many years in Salem? Well, first of all, Dave, it was a it was a very very difficult decision, uh, and difficult difficult in a couple ways. Whenever you have quality choices to pick from, that's that's obviously advantageous in the long run. In the short term, it's not as easy because there are you know, one of the things that was a tremendous consideration for Salem and the good people, you know, spearheaded by Kerry Harvey Cutter, who everybody knows, was that, you know, Salem over the years had such tremendous equity and such history in the event that in the minds of, in the minds of some, certainly the you know, Division Three Men's Final Four had become synonymous with Salem. Yeah. And that's, that's a credit to them. It really is. It's a credit to the hard work that so many people did over the long, over the long period of time. Uh, when we when we sat down and really started to look hard, you know, and believe me, this is a very, very, very deep dive. Uh, the decision that was made was not a, in any way uh, based on a assessment of things that had done been done incorrectly or you know or whatnot in Salem, but just. Uh, a desire to perhaps look at taking taking the event to a different location, just in order to see the event grow, to expose the event to a different part of the country. And of course, when you when you get into that, you're somewhat dependent on you know who cho- who chooses to bid. These processes are not necessarily uh, driven in some to some degree like they would be on the Division One side by you know huge chambers of commerce and sports commissions and things like that. Uh, it's a it's a much smaller aperture, if you will, behind the behind the approach to it, and um, it was a highly, highly, highly competitive process. And uh, at the end, you know, while while as a committee we remained impressed with Salem and what Salem brought to the table, we the consensus of our group at the end was that it was better, it was in the best interest of the event to take it to Fort Wayne. So we will move on to Fort Wayne for four years. There'll be plenty to, of ways to dissect that. We don't need to necessarily bore ourselves this year. We'll be enjoying one more year in Salem, though the road to Salem moniker is certainly going to take on a different attitude. A lot of people, though, would say that being in the center part of the country per se to Division Three, as you've hinted at, also going to where is considered one of the hotbeds of basketball in the passion sense, Indiana is something that'll be be good for the tournament. We obviously won't find out till 2019, and even to be to the extent 2020, um, ironic number. Um, but what, what's your vantage point on on what Fort Wayne brings to the table? It's it, Dave. It's a couple things. One, you know, and having lived in Indiana, I probably know a little bit more about this than some people would. But uh, the city of Fort Wayne is a dynamic community. It really is. It's it's a community that's grown over time. You know, as a as a municipality, as an urban entity, 
And what I what I am excited about about the future of the Division Three Final Four being in Fort Wayne is just the honest to goodness fervor the residents of Indiana have for basketball in general, not just college basketball. And it's not just Indiana or just Purdue or just Butler or Notre Dame, even though those, those are, you know, obviously bigger names that certainly have strong fan bases in the area. Um, I could be wrong, but I'll be surprised that if down the line, if one of the differences in the event is not just the, the fan base that develops just because of people that live in Indiana and enjoy and enjoy basketball and are really have a kind of a ravenous appetite for basketball. Now, having said that, the challenge for the good folks in Fort Wayne, which has been put to them very clearly, is okay. That's you know, and until the event's held, that's on paper. That has to become a reality, and they're going to have to work very hard to turn out people who are not fans of the four schools who are participating that don't know that they're going to Fort Wayne until Saturday night and then they're at the Saturday night, the week before when they're going to play there six days later. So there was a great emphasis and a great analysis about ability and capacity to attract fans who are not affiliated with the schools that will be participating. So in other words, to attract college basketball fans in general to the event, which could, which could add to the aura of the event. You know, any, any kid that plays will tell you the more people that are in the building, the more enthusiastic they are about playing. Not that we have any problem with generating enthusiasm at a Final Four among <laughs> the participants, mind you, but uh, I think there's a chance in Indiana where, you know, you can make the case that basketball is almost religious in Indiana. Sure. And I, and I know as a committee we were very hopeful that that avid fan interest in general – translates into larger crowds and translates into greater financial success for the event. We'll certainly see what happens. Again, 2019 will be the first year. We'll celebrate in Salem one final year. Again, for the foreseeable future, this is a four-year deal. We'll see what happens after 2022, or literally we'll find out in 2021 what those decisions will be. Uh, let's... And I will be watching at a distance. Yes, you point. will be. <laughs> I'm, a, I, I'm going from the basketball committee to the championship yeah. committee, so I will be watching from a different perspective. Trust me, if you think you're getting away from me, you're, you're, you're no, badly mistaken. Dave, I would never want that, Dave. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some other off-season things. One thing I know the committees do is, is they kind of take a few months and then they look back at, at what was done, what was decided, how it turned out, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of do a a, um, a debrief, as it were, after the fact, so that kind of the, the emotions of everything has is, is been taken away and just the, the facts are in front of you. What did you guys think of last year, the decisions you guys made, and what are you what did you discuss in the offseason moving forward that you would like to either adjust, change, or maybe bolster the, other, well, the opposite side of those things? Well, you're right. You're right. We look at it very closely, and uh, there, are some, you know, there are some really interesting attributes about picking this tournament field and one you know there's an it's inevitable to draw analogies between division three and division one in terms of the method for selection you know data that's available to committee members and things like that but the interesting thing is if you think about it there are 43 automatic qualifiers in the division three tournament so effectively this committee works all year to pick 21 teams and then to seed the seed the field and look at it geographically there's an awful lot of good basketball that's played in Division Three, and that process 
you know, when you get into upsets and things like that, and it, it really makes for a very dynamic experience in terms of seeding the field. You know, we always one, – one consistent point of emphasis along the way is just how we use the data that's made available to us. And one of the big discussions in the offseason was, you know, we have the, – the, the criteria is tiered. Okay, so and – I, and I know you're familiar with that, but your listeners might not be as familiar with it. There's certain there's, – there's five pieces of criteria that you're required to assess. Okay, along the along the way, strength of schedule probably and strength strength of schedule winning percentage probably being, you know, the most prominent of the two that, that would stand to reason logically. But then we also see other data that we're allowed to look at, but we're not supposed to consider. Well, if you can find somebody who can look at something and then not have it impact their mind, you should tell me who that person is, because I can't do that. Yeah. And there's been a you know we have. Um, one of our committee members, Ken Tyler from uh, Mary Washington, was really, really good in this year's process when, you know, because when you get into these deep discussions about, you know, when you're trying to get into the nth degree and you're getting way down into the weeds about the, the resumes, if you will, of these teams that are competing for at-large spots, Ken would continually focus the group and say, look, you know, we can say that, but we got to go back to these five criteria. Mm-hmm. And where are they with respect to these five criteria? And we would, you know, we would sometimes, and Kevin Vandestreek would tell you the same thing, we would sometimes venture off into the weeds, and Ken would be the guy who would pull us back in, who would say, no, okay, these are what we, these are what we have to base our qualifications on, because as you know from talking to Kevin and talking to Brian Van Haften before that and Jeff Burns before that, when you explain why someone did or didn't make the tournament, it needs to be consistent and in concert with the criteria that we're required to judge by. And, and, and so you get, you know, you have all the intangibles you want, but at the end of the day, your decisions have to be primarily governed by the tangibles. Sure. Talking to Tim Fitzpatrick, AD at Coast Guard and the Men's Basketball Committee Chair for Division Three Men's Basketball this season <clears throat> per that um one of the oddball decisions last year and i don't mean oddball in a bad necessarily but just per the criteria was the inclusion of oshkosh who had a ridiculous sos despite not having a great win-loss percentage they were below what we jokingly call the mendoza line of 667 two-thirds of your of the games were wins they were you know were down at 610 i want to say um and i you know it it was one of those where it's like, oh, man, with that big an SOS, and when we start doing the whole SOS mathematician thing with you know, .03 equals two games scenario, it started to feel like a very flat curve. And as a result, because they were so f- distant, then you start doing that math, they became a, a juggernaut you couldn't ignore. Was that kind of along those conversations? And I'm not saying that the other stuff isn't valid, because you're right, it has to be part of the criteria. But is that how an Oshkosh, or even the NESCAC in the in years past, with these gaudy SOS numbers, becomes a factor? Because you are sticking so strictly to the criteria that you have to say, you know what, we got no choice here. That's a good, that's really a good assessment, Dave, that you make. And one of the things that's that's going to become relevant this year, because, you know, I want to make it relevant, not not so much as Tim, but as the committee chair is. 
when you have when you have any kind of I'm not I'm not a math major, but anytime you have a mathematical extraction, you got to really consider what's the validity of the data that's making up the making up what you're extracting. Yeah. And the the NESCAC example you use is one that I'm very familiar with because I have the my region is the Northeast, right? And as you know, I believe we had what 15 Northeast teams last year in the tournament, and yeah. uh, formulaically. According to the current standards that are in place, the the fact that the NESCAC plays only one conference game against each school in the league for a year, really, really I mean, mathematically, they have a they improve their chances by the fact that they play just that one conference game, as opposed to take the conference that Coast Guard is in the new MAC, where you're playing everybody's playing each other twice. Logically, the top teams in the conference, when the, when, the, when, the, when the number one seed has two games against the number eight, that's going to have a larger impact. You know, extrapolating the math, that's going to have a larger impact. And the one thing that, that the formulas for evaluation don't differentiate with are those differences in how leagues or conferences compose their own schedules. You know, and and what what are the points of assessment? And uh, you know, when you when you look at the NESCAC and you look at those gaudy numbers, you know, you start to think, geez, you know, you okay, we put these teams in the tournament. We really hope that that their that their performance merits where they appear to be statistically. And it's a real it's really a challenge. It really is because when you look at when you go one step farther. Uh, like I know, just I was talking to Kevin Vandestreek about this the other day. You know, Kevin's school is one of a very, very few Division three schools in their geographic area, so they've got to go a long ways to play games. Whereas here in New England, I think there's 86 D3s in the New England region, yeah. Yeah. and so it's so by virtue of that, it's easier if you're a Newmax school, it's easier for you to get a game in non-conference with a NESCAC and tie into that strength of schedule. You know, it's it's almost the next step past RPI. You know, when yeah. you get when you get those good non-conference games. I'll give you the greatest example of all. Uh, Stephen Brennan, the Babson coach, is a master scheduler. Yes, he is. Master actually. scheduler. And, a lot of people talk about that. And but but if you think about it, okay, he 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 went to Bates, right? Played at Bates. Mm-hmm. Great, very familiar with the NESCAC in general. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Babson had five NESCAC yeah. non-conference games. Yeah, including year. Amherst. Right, and and which was a double overtime yeah. game. And in fact, in fact, it's on my schedule for December seventh for me to see in person. <laughs> nice this year because I do that. I mean, I did it as a as a just as a normal committee member, but I'm going to do it all that I can as the chair. So you know, by by virtue of that, when you look when you look down the line, you can see that. You know, Babson was able to obviously they win the whole thing, but they were able to overcome losing in the conference final and still get a very very high seed by virtue of what they did with their schedule sure. along the way. And there's a message in that. I mean, every every coach and athletic director had to assess the capabilities of their own program in terms of how they schedule. But you know, as long as as long as SOS is going to be a part of the equation, people need to address that. And you know, even in New England, there was there were schools last year without naming names that were looking at that we were looking at that 
you know, if they didn't get to their conference final, yeah. it was, yep. was story was going to likely not have a happy ending. Yeah, and I've even noticed changes from from schools. I'll leave unnamed as well, just to be fair, uh, where their scheduling has changed as a result because they keep putting themselves in that situation. And I think finally, including some of them serving on racks, which I think has been always. I always say to coaches, go serve some time on a rack to understand how this works if you really don't understand it. Um, well, Dave, because it's you know, going to change your habits. Offer, I'll offer something else to you, too. This, part of this is the difference between Division Three and Division One. Oh, absolutely. In Division One, there's always great emphasis placed on prestige or reputation of conferences by virtue yes. of how many teams conferences place in NCAA tournaments. In Division Three. You know, part of the diversity of Division Three that's a strength is a weakness when it comes to that kind of assessment because you you, you don't you know there, there's there's some institutions that frankly aren't interested in whether their whether their teams advance to postseason play whether they're part of a conference or not and that, and that there's a a whole lot of variance whereas you know everybody that plays in the Atlantic Coast Conference in basketball. Yeah, they go into the season with the same goal, and that's to make the tournament. Sure, <laughs> Where, yeah, and that, right. that's, a, that's just a very, very big philosophical division between Division One and Division yeah. Three. But to answer your question, yeah, we look exhaustively. One thing that I will say that we did wrong that happened in our region is um, we didn't look closely enough at how we seeded Endicott and Nichols that both come from the same yep. conference, yep. and they ended up playing in the semifinals. Yeah. And and it was it was the fourth time last year that that last year they'd played, and we you know, we we as soon as the thing went live, we knew that was a mistake. Uh-huh. And 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 heck, I can take the blame for it. It was my region, sure. you know. And 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 that was and believe me, somebody called it to our attention about two hours after the field was announced. It didn't take long for that to happen. But you know, it, it's I think you know the, was that a mistake? Sure, it was. Um, but by the same token, it's not an indication of the level of diligence that goes into. Oh no, sure. It's, and sometimes you know you've heard the saying about it, there are things in life that hide in plain sight. That's yep. a pretty good example right there. A uh, quick question that doesn't necessarily need an answer, but just a thought. You know, we talk about this SOS to, to wins, a three three wins to or point oh three to two wins SOS things. And there was a time where I felt it was a bell curve, and I think it still need, it should be a bell curve. There's times like last year I felt it was a flat curve. Just a thought, you know, I almost wonder if you go back to stats and go, hey, listen, at some point this .03 to two wins can't be that solid a number. If we're getting that be, you know, into the into the into the extremes, that might even the playing field to some degree. Well, and yeah, and that was a big topic of discussion in the committee deliberations, frankly, last year because you know when you get, you're right, it's not it's not an even distribution when you start to go out versus you know point two point four point six when you right. go farther and farther and farther down the line, and where does it become you know where does it become silly and where does it get out of balance, right. and how does it affect whether or not a team gets in a tournament you know what not with last year's field but the year before we had an awful lot of conversation about uh, Lancaster Baptist Baptist about what would happen if they lost yeah, absolutely because they're boom they're sitting there at twenty eight and oh or whatever and as a committee, we're sitting there thinking, when you start looking at the other factors, you're sitting there thinking, boy, I hope they win the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Because, we knew that hey, was how, are we gonna, how, how would you explain leaving somebody out at 27-1? And, and, the, and the discussion that went on in the committee, uh, both by current and former members, was, okay, we've got all this, all this stuff, but my God, how could you keep somebody out of the tournament with one loss yeah. 
if the one loss came in the conference semifinals, uh, conference finals. So there is, there are, you know, there are a lot of numbers, but there's an awful lot of humanity, and there's an awful lot of discussion, and there are some raised voices, and there are some feelings hurt, and, but that. That, to me, is an indication of the passion that the people on the committee have for their work. And sure. It's a pleasure to be a part of that. Talk to Xing. So extensively here with uh, Tim Fitzpatrick, head coach, or head coach, I'm so used to saying that, uh, Coast Guard Athletics Director and head of the Men's Basketball Committee Chair. Um, uh, a couple more quick questions before we let you go. I appreciate all the time you've taken. Don't want to take too much here. But what are the challenges you guys have seen, at least in the offseason or moving into this season, that you see ahead of you that are going to definitely need to be either addressed or at least keep an eye on? Well, one of the things that we've done that I think is a real positive that will help incredibly is the change that we've made with hiring a national supervisor of officials for Division Three, Jim Haney, who was a, a tremendous Division One official, very, very well respected, and has been the CSAC supervisor for the past few years, has been hired by the NCAA for a three-year term as a national supervisor of officials. And Frankly, Dave, the motivation for doing that was to bring the quality of officiating in Division Three men's basketball to match the quality of play, the quality of the game. We have we had had some rather um, anachronistic processes, for want of a better word, for selection of officials who work in the tournament, and they, uh, Jim has dived headlong into the processes of changing that with the notion that just like we want the best teams to be at the Final Four and to be in the tournament, we want the best officials to be in the tournament and to be at the Final Four. And uh, Jim's experience and also the fact that he has such a close relationship with J.D. Collins, the D1 supervisor, we're really trying to take establish commonality for officiating in college basketball outside of officiating by division. And I think we got a real chance to make progress. And the fact that Jim has a three-year term, I think we're going to be able to, to really put in some meaningful change. And I know that his visits with supervisors and with officials already uh, across the country, it's been very, very well received. And I think it's something that will really, it can make it, you know, if you look at the tournament, in general, it can make a great event even even better in the long run. Sure. Uh, we should point out the women have added that as well on their side. We'll be talking to the women's one, we hope, at some point we'll connect with them uh, and talk to them on, on a future show. We should also point out, let's not have any gaudy expectations this year. It's not like he's going to be able to turn a, a, a huge ship around um, immediately, but I'm looking forward to seeing what progresses this year and progresses throughout his three at least initial three years in this role. I think you'll just see a lot more scrutiny going into who works the, the who works the, the tournament games. Yeah. I know just from talking to Jim, as we've talked about priorities, you know he sees the year regular season in a conference tournament as you know a proving ground for officials, and that you know there's there's been way too much speculation over time that relationships between supervisors and individual officials have impacted who advances sure. and who progresses. And that plain and simple cannot be yeah. anymore. Now, 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 you don't want to take humanity out of processes. That That's not the point. But if you're out to, you know, if it's all about student-athlete experience and you're out to do the best you can for everybody there, that means having the highest-rated people calling the games. Yeah. And it's plain and simple. And Jim is very, very, he's very, very black and white 
when it comes to that. Sure. And his, you know, his evaluations will be stern. And and he's not willing he's not he's going to take input from supervisors, but he's not willing to simply accept what they say. Yeah. So he's going to spend an awful lot of time, you know, watching games. We've got him all set up so he can watch any live streaming that's going on anywhere in Division Three. That's cool. He's going to spend a lot of time watching games because that's who they, he said he told me on a number of occasions, I can watch a game and tell you who's good and who's not. And, that, and that's exactly what we need to do. And there's, are there going to be some hurt feelings along the way? You bet. But if the product is what it needs to be, if we're really committed to product, we're, we're, we're going to be strong in our assessment. We should point out we talked to Jim Haney in our first preseason podcast. You can go back and listen to that. We also may bring it back uh, as part of this Sunday show in parts or in all, depending on our content uh, this Sunday. Uh, Final question before I let you go. Uh, There's a lot we could talk about. These conversations can go forever, though. I don't want to completely bore anybody. Um, I find them fascinating, and I know we'll talk again in late January, early February uh, before rankings come out. But what's, what are your, as a committee, and I know you've spoken a little bit, and though we haven't really gotten up to speed yet, but what do you hope that at least the message to the racks is going to be? I noticed in football there were some inconsistencies. I think there's been some oddities in some of the other sports, and I'm not trying to say that transcends into yours necessarily, but when it comes to your committee and when it comes to your racks, what, what's the message to them, and how do you try and strive the, or drive home the message better of consistency across the board? Well, we lean back very heavily on what our criteria are along the way. And one of the, thing, one of the great things about this committee, and I've served on a couple other NCAA committees, but what I've really noticed about the basketball committee is the committee members aren't afraid to keep everybody accountable for their, for their uh, not so much their decisions, but, but for their rankings and things during the year. And I'll, Best way to illustrate is to give an example. Okay, we in the Northeast we rank 11 teams. So I, you know, I'm I oversee my rack. I don't vote, right? So I, but I take diligent notes. And the reason I do is when I get on that national call, I've got to defend those choices. I've got to defend why school A is four and school B is five, <laughs> and yeah. I have to be willing to expose my my selections the selections of my committee made and why. And I know last year just in the national committee on more than one occasion, one, one committee member would say to another, well, that, you know, that rationale is not good enough. And, you know, when we hear people say, well, we, we, as a group, we kind of felt, well, what does kind of felt mean? Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, that's the kind of scrutiny that goes on. And I, you know, I don't, I don't mind saying this, you know, 11 teams is a challenge when you get, you know, when you get, uh, Eight college basketball coaches on the phone that are, you know, dedicated to their work, but they're looking at their watch while you're while you're talking because they're going to do something else two minutes after they get off the call. Yeah. Um, to really being saying, hey, is there a reason? You know, is there a reason why somebody was eight versus nine? And I know in my rack, I constantly remind them, and I think they get tired of hearing it, is that who you pick not number nine is as important as who you pick number one, because when you look at when you look at what's done week to week, that history is important. And some people say, well, you're really just warming up to pick, you know, 21 teams at the end. Well, no, you got to look at the trends. I mean, even, you know, I distribute information in hand by email to my rack going into their voting and going into the call. And one of the things that we, that we plot is 
where people are being voted week to week. So if somebody was five in week one, and then they go to two, and then they go to four, people can see that arithmetic progression that goes on along the way. And I have found in my rack that they get better and better and better as they go along. They get more immersed into the whys and the hows and how one thing affects another. And, uh, you know, we point out to them what big games are that are coming up in the next rating period in order that they, they can be more conscious of what's going on outside their conference. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a constantly evolving process, but it's something that's really fun to be a part of. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. This is part of my process that I enjoy. Uh, lengthy conversation, so taking a lot of time out of your day, and I appreciate you doing it nonetheless. Um, I look forward to talking to you throughout the season, both off-air and on-air, um, and looking forward to, if I don't see you prior, seeing you in Salem. Um, as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuning in? I think it's going to be a wonderful year. You know, it'll be, uh, you know, the the... The good folks in Salem have done an extraordinary job with this event for a long time, and uh, I'm, 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 you know, I'm kind of happy to be the, the guy who's going in there with the final tournament at this point, because uh, I think it's such, it's so historic and it's made such an important impact over time. Like you said earlier in this conversation, that you know, it's the, the road to Salem has come to mean something, and the road to Fort Wayne will mean something too down the line, but. Um, you know, the, the, I think we're going to see some. We may see some of the usual suspects kicking around at the end this year. <laughs> but one of the exciting things about this tournament is when you get when you get teams that advance that maybe haven't been there before. Or, yep. uh, but it's a uh, you know the the NCAA basketball tournament is a great event regardless of division, and I'm really I'm really honored to be a part of it. Well, we're looking forward to the road, as it were, as well, and look forward to uh, seeing how this season progresses. I can't believe we're here already, but looking forward to seeing how it ends in March. It will be here before we know it, that's for sure. Yes, it will, Dave, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thanks, sir, for taking the time. Uh, enjoy the season. We'll talk soon. Great. Thank you. Absolutely. He is Tim Fitzpatrick, AD at Coast Guard, and again, Men's Basketball Committee Chair. Now, join That was Tim Patrick. Uh, Tim Fitzpatrick, appreciate him taking the time. Really good insight. If you really paid attention to that interview, Tim gave a lot of information of how this works. That's what I love about these conversations. You know, again, the committee chair is not voting, but he's taking dubious notes. The national committee is saying, so why'd you vote this way? Well, we just felt this way. That's not good enough. You need to tell me why you voted this way per the criteria. Really, really good information in there. And I appreciate Tim Fitzpatrick taking the time to join us. Uh, we're going to take another break. Um, by the way, we can dissect that interview in a lot more ways. There's a lot of good information in there, um, and we'll get to it. Over time, we'll certainly circle back on a lot of those topics. Coming up in uh, late January, early February on the Hoops Home Marathon Show, which is when we usually talk to the committee chairs again before the rankings come out for the first time. Still ahead, both number one teams, and we'll talk to Ryan Winnable. Uh, he's running the Great Lakes Invitational. We'll talk to him. That's all jammed up still to go in the next bit of the show. We're supposed to go off the air in about 35 minutes. We'll be late, as we always are. Uh, but when you come back, Carla Barubi will join us from Tufts, and then we'll talk to Eric Bridgeland from uh, Whitman, and then we'll talk to Ryan. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, 
or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I'm a Division Three student athlete and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division Three. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division Three allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division Three athletics affords students the opportunity to, you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. I wouldn't change it for the world. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. A little bit of a, a different take on the show tonight as uh, having a little bit of uh, the preseason or the early season grumbles. We don't get a true preseason anymore. Uh, we're going to have to work on it. But hopefully in the next uh, short period of time, we will have a fully functioning studio uh, with video cameras so you can see my beautiful face <laughs> as well. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You know the drill. We hope you'll take advantage of it and interact with us. Hope you're enjoying the show and the simulcast on Facebook. Now let's go back to the Hoopsville Hotline. Now let's start talking to the preseason number one teams, another traditional thing that we do on the opening show. The traditional, uh, the uh, number one preseason team on the women's side is Tufts. Finished 30-3 and last season. Uh, lost to Amherst in the, um, in the championship game in, in a not-so-lovely uh, way, but gets the number one at least this time. And their head coach, Carla Barubi, joins us on the Hoopsville Hotline. And, Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. My pleasure, Dave. Um, happy to be here. Just curious if last year's result is still on the mind of everybody, because admittedly, I think everybody looked at that game kind of like they did the year before with the Thomas More game. Went, ooh, this could be fun, and I don't think that's what we ended up getting. Is that one that still stings, or is that one this team has already moved on from? Um, I tried to move on five <laughs> minutes after that game was over. Um, no, I, I, I. I definitely think that we have have moved on. Sure. Um, can't you can't dwell on that? Um, you know all of this this postseason and preseason. Um, but you you definitely you know you you grow from that experience. You learn from um, from that game, and um, and hopefully it it fuels your fuels your fire to um, you know to get back to that to that stage. 
It's certainly not dwelling on the game, but it's certainly fascinating. The 52-29 final. I know I was at the men's game, and we're all kind of wondering if maybe live stats had broken. Um, <laughs> and maybe something was incorrect. It wasn't halftime. It was the end of the first quarter or something stranger. Was that just one of those perfect storms? And and as a coach, you look at your team and go, hey, it is what it is. There's only so much you can control sometimes, and this one was uncontrollable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was two teams that knew each other very, very well. Yes. Um, you know, the third time we, we played them. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, just missed a lot of shots. I think the, the first quarter it was 7-2 to two was the, the yeah. score. Um, <laughs> you know, two teams that, that play hard-nosed defense. Um, it's gritty, it's tough, and and it's it's not pretty no. <laughs> at times. No. Um, but if you like that kind of game where, um, you know, kids are diving on loose balls, you know, every shot is contested, and, um, you know, it's it can be fun, but uh, not that not that <laughs> score. And, and we were not, you know, we're not happy with that, that outcome. And um, But I think it has, you know, it has you know, fueled the, the fire of the, the, sure. the returners that, um, you know, that's that's not the way we want to end our season this this season. And well, let's point out, it, it's back-to-back championship games at the very least. Um, yeah, back-to-backs, I believe, right? Or is it even... Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, it, you're you're in a place where you know not many people can be in the first place, and as a result, you're the preseason number one. You brought back a lot of the talent that was on that team, um, as you say, probably pretty fired up and ready to go. Um, I'm not saying they take any solace in the fact you're a preseason number one. There's nothing there. You got to prove it, obviously, on the court, and everyone knows that. But is there something about this team that just feels like, okay, you know what, this is our season. Let's go out and, and prove ourselves and, and and show what this really means to our, to us and the program. Well, we haven't talked about it for one second about the, the preseason ranking. Sure. Um, we we just literally we, we take it we take it day by day. Um, you know, being in SCAC school, we just started practice, you know yesterday, 15, right? <laughs> <laughs> seems like yesterday. Just a few days ago. So yeah. um, you know, it's it's a it's a work in progress, and you know we're trying to get better day in and day out, and um, and we would love to be in that <laughs> that situation, being um, at, you know at the top of the of the rankings come come March, because that's what it's that's what it's all about. Um, you know, it's nice to have the respect of of coaches and and you know writers and sports formation directors out there, and um, and you know be in the final four the last four years you know um i guess it, it means something and it says something and um but we have so much work to do and sure. and we and we do have you know quite a few players um back from from last season but we also you know graduated our all-time leading scorer all-time yeah. leading rebounder and um and so there there's you know there's some pieces that we need to um you know fill in and and um but i'm excited i'm really um looking forward to to coaching this team you know starting tomorrow night yeah we should mention mckellen north obviously gone 11.2 points a game last year along with 7.7 rebounds of course melissa baptista is back for her senior campaign 12 and a half points last season along with four and a half boards um plus everything else she brings to the table like nearly two blocks a game and two steals excuse me a game uh and 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 jack north and or Nap, I should say, and, and, and other players like Dylan and, and, and others certainly are going to step up here. 
the NESCAC is going to be once again that battle. I, I can't imagine it isn't going to be between you and Amherst, but I'm curious, kind of reading the tea leaves. It feels like the rest of the NESCAC, which had taken a step back, even the Williams of the like, seem like they're starting to poise to get back into the mix too. Is the NESCAC maybe going to be deeper than just the Tufts Amherst race that we've kind of gotten used to the last few years? I think so. I, I, I do believe that, that, that teams have, have really stepped up. Um, and, and, you know, Bowden's always right there in yeah, the true. top you know, top 25 um, most years, and um, it's always a, a battle with them. But um, we, we really believe that every, you know, every NASCAR game is competitive. It's a battle. You, you've got to bring your, your A game or you're, you're going to get beat. Um, and so, it, you know, the, the NASCAR, who we only play each other one time, those games mean, mean so much. And, um, and I, I believe that, and, and I don't know, Amherst feels this way too. But it really gets us ready for for the NCA, um, you know, having those back to back games Friday night, Saturday afternoon, and it and it always being two tough games. It really truly gets us ready for the for the NCA tournament. You will start the season this weekend at home in your own at your own tournament, Roger Williams, and then Regis um, of Massachusetts on Saturday, and I'm sorry, on Friday and Saturday. Um, then you'll take on. Emerson and Brandeis the rest of this month. <laughs> Got a great matchup. You head to uh, Williams, and you'll take on mm-hmm. Rochester. You'll get to watch Williams and then play Bridgewater State. You also have WPI on the schedule and University of New England. You have Albright on the schedule at the Montclair tournament, most likely Montclair, should you both get past each other or both stumble. Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. And then conference play. So you've got a really good challenging uh, schedule there, a mix of some teams maybe that aren't as challenging, but certainly a good mix. You always seem to be the coach that that's you know what this is we're going to play well we're going to go play top teams we got to get ready for conference play anyway but we're not going to shy away from anybody. No, no, and we have UMass Dartmouth on our schedule yep. who was an elite A team, um, uh, Babton, and and right like you know that's our philosophy. Why not why not play the best that we can play, and and you know it can get us ready for for the NASCAC and for, for NCAA tournament play. Um, you know, I think strength of schedule means means quite a bit. So um, let's get out there and, and play the best teams. So here's a weird one for you. You know, everybody talked about Thomas Moore for a number of years. They were good before Sidney Moss got there. They're going to remain good. Who knows how good, but they're good. But we talked a lot about Thomas Moore when Sidney Moss was there. G.P. Gromacki's made Amherst a juggernaut. We talk about Amherst all the time. We still talk about Wash U, even though that Nancy – Faye has disappeared, you know, gone on to Illinois, but we still talked about the what if with, with WashU, and there's other good teams out there. I think what slipped under everybody's radar, you've been to four straight championship weekends. You've been to two straight national title games. You guys are almost synonymous with just as good a consistency as all those other teams I mentioned, if not better than those teams that mentioned, but you don't seem to get as many headlines. You don't seem to get as many. Um, spotlights put on you, at least from my vantage point, and maybe I'm off, but from your vantage point, does the spotlight seem not as bright on you guys? And I don't think you have a problem with that, but <laughs> is that something that you've taken advantage of, maybe? Well, I don't think many people are talking about the Buffalo Bills of the... <laughs> you know, <laughs> kept going to the... Never thought to make that <laughs> reference, Coach. <laughs> um, fair, so, fair. Yeah, I mean, I... I <laughs> Thing to get the big spotlight, you've got to win the the, the big games. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, we're okay with with not being the spotlight. You you know uh, you know you have to 
you have to come through in the in the big ones. So um, until that happens, we're we're okay with with where we're at, and and um, I would love to be able to keep you know heading off to the Midwest in in March. Um, <laughs> you know, Rochester, Rochester, Minnesota sounds great. Sounds in March beautiful, today. right? So yeah. Um, so yeah, we're we're okay with it. We're fine with it. And like I said, it you know I we we've got a taste of it we know what what it takes to 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 get there and and how amazing it is when you when you do reach that that um you know that stage and um so we you know we're going to work tooth and nail to to get back and 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 if we're lucky to to get there then you know hopefully we've got you know years of experience to to help us along the way and at, at some point maybe the you know the door will open and we will Stop being the the bridesmaid, and maybe we'll get married. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be a nice finish. Two losses in the semis <laughs> have been followed by two wins there, but two losses in the championship game. By by default, I think that means you should win the championship this year. But unfortunately, you got to play the games. Um, Thirty yeah. and three, the la- three of the last four years, twenty eight and four. That one odd year in that, and obviously the NESCAC battle will be big. Um, so. I mean, we bring up what's gone on. You say you haven't talked to the team. You guys are getting ready to play this weekend, and you've got the whole season ahead of you. What is the message to the team then? Get, get better every day. Yeah. Enjoy the and enjoy the enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy. You know, I'm excited to to go on bus rides with the team <laughs> and stay in hotels and and just the the little things. Um, you know, I've. I, I enjoy my job so much and, and being able to, um, you know, coach these really bright student athletes and, um, and I enjoy watching them, you know, develop their chemistry over the, the course of the year and, and watching the, the friendships that are being made and, and all of that is, that means so much. And, and that's, that's always been our message is, you know, let's, let's enjoy this experience. You know, if, if we're working hard or enjoying, you know, what we're doing, um, we've got we've got talented student athletes. We put it together. You know, great things are are going to happen. Um, and I think that that good things happen to to good people. And um, and um, you know, I think we we play the game the right way, and we respect it, and um, we respect our opponents. And and so that's that's always my message to to the team. And um, and I think good things will will happen. You say respect your opponents, but in the in the NESCAC. We're full of very interesting mascots. Um, it runs the gamut uh, from ones that make complete sense to ones that make absolutely no sense. Um, Amherst had to get decided to get rid of the Lord Jeffs. Uh, they finally announced they were not going with hamsters. They went with mammoths, and then the logo came out. I can't help but notice they may have stolen your idea. Now, now it's two essentially elephants uh, in the same room. Um, is that something we can use in motivation whatsoever? I mean, they feel like maybe uh, they're trying to take everything from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I thought it was going to be the hamsters. I really did. I, I do too. Um, um, <laughs> but the the mammoths run out. Um, I just maybe they just want to be closer to us. Oh. I'm, not, I'm not sure they want to be a a cousin to the to the jumbos. <laughs> and um, but I am glad that they got rid of that. That Lord Jeff. Yeah, you didn't like time. the Lord Jeff. You didn't like that. <laughs> At least it's an animal now, right? I mean, that's it, right. And it's not like Williams, which is the Eves, but it's really a cow. You figure that all out. Yeah, um, I know. 
Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time. You've obviously fallen in love with D3 despite being a D1 student athlete. I cringe every offseason waiting to see your name on some hiring, so it's always glad that I get to talk to you in another season. Um, Congratulations with what you're doing at Tufts. Congratulations on the preseason number one ranking. I think it's very well deserved. We look forward to seeing the next evolution of this team. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Yeah, just looking forward to the season, really looking forward to the weekend. Um, having uh, It's actually a, a classic tournament, so yeah. it's, it's, um, it's MIT, it's um, Regis and, and um, Roger Williams and three of my, my good friends in, in New England at those, um, at those colleges. And, That's cool. Um, yeah, and so I'm just, you know, thanks to you, Dave, for everything you do. And, um, you know, it's another, you know, exciting season is, is is happening so we're here um looking forward to it (laughs) absolutely well thanks for taking the time coach enjoy it hopefully the weather is good for you guys hopefully we see you in minnesota as well i know we'll talk in between take care and we'll talk soon all right thanks dave absolutely carla baruby joining us here on the hoopsville hotline hats off to her once again and the and the jumbos (laughs) i just find it funny the nascac uh, mascots are funny to begin with there's quirks there's oddities there's funny names but for Amherst to come out with a mammoth and have it look like an elephant and you already have the jumbos who are the elephants at Tufts <laughs> it just cracks me up uh congratulations once again We're gonna take a break when we come back Eric Bridgeland will join us we will talk Whitman men's basketball with him you're listening to Hoops Hope presented by d3hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios more after this great moments are born from great opportunity That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division III school, you primarily... And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying your December. We want to thank again Kings women's basketball coach Brian Donahue for joining us here on on uh, Hoopsville. Certainly appreciate him. And uh, if you want more information, go to their website, et cetera, about his battle. Certainly appreciate it. We're going to switch gears now and talk men's basketball. And we're going to start at the top with one of the top five teams in the country. And, of course, out of one of the toughest conferences in the country, out of one of the more difficult regions out of the country, you get my drift. We're going to start there at the top. And joining me on the Hoopsville hotline is Coach Ron Rose and the number five ranked Illinois Wesleyan Titans. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville. 
Hi, Dave. How are you? I am doing well, sir. Um, happy Thanksgiving, and for you guys, that was a nice long break. Uh, you haven't played since the 26th, and you'll uh, get back on the court here uh, in two days against uh, Wash U. Um, so a nice 10-day break there. You're a little beat up. You and I talked about it off the air. So the 10 days is perfectly time. But at the same time, does a 10-day gap there at the beginning of the season scare a coach a little bit? Well, it, it's having that long off is not ideal. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say this first time in my eight years here at Wesleyan that we have not played uh, on that Saturday or Sunday after Thanksgiving, and it, it allowed uh, allowed us to let our guys go home for three days. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm hoping, um, you know, mentally that's a nice break. And then because we have been so beat up, it did, you know, it, it uh, um, not by plan, but it did give us extra time for some guys to do some rehab and heal, and hopefully that will pay uh, dividends as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Let's talk about the start of the season. You're 4-1 on the year. Uh, start off with three straight wins against Manchester, Aurora, and Cole, and then Loris tripped you up. Of course, Loris has been the top 25 killer um, so far this season, or near killer. Uh, lost to them on the road by five on, on uh, the second weekend. Of course, you started on back-to-back weekends playing at tourna- or in tournaments, essentially. Um, and then you uh, travel at home when Wabash came to, to visit and beat them by 11 before taking the break. So in your book, I realize you probably don't want and you probably wanted an unblemished record. But from your book, how's the team start for you? Well, you know, we, we, you break down the season in, in parts, and, and we look at the the preseason and then the games leading up to Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and kind of evaluate where we're at. And you know, we're making progress. It's been um, not as smooth as, as we'd hoped in terms of injuries. We've had so many injuries that we've had guys in and out of the lineup. We've had as many as four guys that you would figure into your uh, immediate rotation that sat out last game. And so we, we've had uh, uh, some challenges that way. I think if you're looking at it positively, it's given us a chance to uh, develop our depth. It's given us a chance to really get a look at guys that might not have had that opportunity. I'm I am pleased that we've held the ship together during kind of this this injury bug that we've had and continued to improve. Um, and then the challenge is as guys are getting healthy and getting back into it, how do you get um, those players back into a rotation? And uh, as they're working themselves back into shape, so it has not been smooth sailing. But I would say I, I do, I am pleased with the effort we've given, uh, the progress we've made, given the challenges we've had. Uh, you'll get right back in the nitty gritty here. You'll take on Wash U uh, here on Saturday at um, at home. Yeah, I had to double check that first. Uh, you'll you'll play them at home. Uh, of course, Wash U uh, ranked number eight right now in the top twenty-five. Then you'll take another week off, so that might be good for injuries as well. Before you travel to Chicago uh, to play them, and then you have Blackburn uh, and Wilmington and uh, another team to be decided at a Hope tournament right before Christmas. So you, you've got a little bit of time here to still rest up. You're, you're the bulk of your schedule, and obviously CCIW play doesn't happen until. January, so this could be a good time for you guys to kind of just make sure all the all the all the knees are in the right places and all the <laughs> all the bodies are are mended and and all the eyes are dotted and T's are crossed. Well, it is good. You know, our goal is to try to be by the time we get into conference play, 
it looks like there's a good chance we can be uh, healthy and have our whole roster in place. At the same time, as you know, as you're as you're competing right now, these games are as important in terms of NCAA tournament bids and seedings and those type of things yeah. as the games in the conference. So you you can't take losses now. Uh, and just count on winning the CCIW Conference Tournament because we know how challenging that is to do. Yeah. So we've got to find ways to continue to win and continue to compete and play at the highest level. And when you're looking at Wash U coming in and University of Chicago and some of the teams that we have coming up, you know, those are quality teams. Those yeah. are, you know, you'd like to have your be at full strength. And, and even though we're not, uh, with six seniors on our roster and the experience that we have, we feel like we can still continue to compete and need to do that to try to put together a resume that we hope will lend itself to the end of the season as well. You're the preseason number two team in the country, having finished ninth last year, uh, had nine first-place votes, obviously uh, plenty of eyes on the Titans heading in. This is following last year's uh, pretty impressive 23-6 and six season. Uh, and, and uh, a trip to the uh, to the Sweet 16, where you lost to North Central. Unfortunately, coming out of our uh, resurrected bracket <laughs> of death, uh, which was almost unavoidable. But I was, of course, I had to play uh, Transylvania, then Wash U, and then and North Central. Is this team a top five team in your mind? I mean, I I ask that because I'll have coaches look at me and go, yeah, we're not going to finish second in the conference when every other coach thinks they are. Are you a top five <laughs> team in the conference? Or are you going to undersell me here and go, you're you're just a top twenty five team in the in the team in the country? Do you have any Do you have any coaches that come in and say, yeah, we're a top five? I want team. coaches too. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Well, yes, it, yes, it, yes it, I do. It, when, at the end of the season, they always say they're number one when they've won the championship. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, I, I really like my team, but I'm not going to go there, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no bulletin board material. Darn. I, I do. I do think that if we can get uh, our, if we can get all our pieces in place, and um, I think we have a chance to be a very good team. I think we've got. Uh, a, a high talent level here. We've got a lot of, when you're looking at, do you have ball handlers, shooters, size? We've got a lot of pieces that would, you know, would make up a very quality team. Um, you know, it's really too early to tell whether, um, you know, how we're going to develop. Every year is different. Yeah. Uh, there's some good fortune that always falls into a season. Uh, I do think, though, with uh, the senior leadership I've got, we are going to be competitive. And we're hoping that we can continue to develop so that at the end of the year we could be considered it, you know, one of the better teams in the country. But, you know, it's so early in the year and we've dealt with so much adversity already. Um, You know, I hope that kind of creates a callous force, a toughness about us that will help us moving forward. You know, you go back to last year and you won 13 straight games. You go into the final game of the regular season in the CCIW undefeated. Um, you know, North Central had been the team that everybody thought was going to win the conference, and you're sitting there on top undefeated. Of course, they trip you up uh, in a game at their place to take that first uh, win or to keep you from getting an undefeated season, which I don't remember the last time that happened in the CCIW. And then you lose the next game against Augustana in the first round of the CCIW tournament. Um was there ever a concern at that point with you? They're like, oh, great. We just hit the worst time possible. 
And how much do you take from that and use it now? You know, it, it, no team in the CCIW, I believe it's 40 years, Something has like gone that, yeah. undefeated. I mean, it's a long time. And, um, and you know, we, we, are, we actually have a shot at the buzzer in regulation yep. at North Central to win that game. And, and they're a terrific team. And Coach Reardon uh, is one of the top coaches in the country, I believe. And, um, you know, they get us in overtime there. And I really think we... When that game was over, we our, our team was so disappointed because we'd been riding that wave of momentum through the entire seven weeks and, you know, the goal of winning the conference and then can we go undefeated, yeah. that we kind of emotionally crashed at that point. And we lost the first round of the conference tournament, uh, and it was a different team that I'd been coaching the previous month or two. And I just think we were emotionally spent. Uh, that, I think... Uh, ultimately uh, refocused us <laughs> yeah. in, in a strange way, even though you don't want to, you don't want to take that loss and sure. uh, we're disappointed by it. I think that kind of rattled our cages and, and then, you know, now we're fortunate to make the NCAA tournament, you know, it's, you know, you lose, you're done. And I thought uh, we had a good, good tournament run. Transylvania was a terrific team uh, being able to go down to wash you and, and win at their place uh, was a great win for us. And then, you know, we played North Central tough at their place. And, again, they were a very good team last year. And, um, you know, it's too bad because I do think um, probably that loss in the conference tournament at home might have cost us the opportunity to host. Yeah, probably. Um, and so um, it's great, great lessons. I mean, and, and I think we've got so many guys that have had the opportunity, our seniors have Played all they know is playing in the NCAA tournament the yeah. end of the year. You know, they're little spoiled. Doesn't that just doesn't happen? And but I think they understand what you have to do at this stage of the season uh, to put our, yourself in a position to get some of those neat opportunities of playing in the tournament. Um, how do you plan to use that uh, as a coaching tool this year? Well, the nice part is, and I think. Uh, our, our the program and, and it's been established long before I ever got here between Coach Hornberger, Coach Bridges, Coach Trost, the the winning tradition at Illinois Wesleyan has been passed on. But now that that we've been you know to the NCAA tournaments now four years in a row, the guys in our program uh, understand that and they do a lot of that legwork, Dave. You know it's it's great when your players the more coaching they can do, the more leadership they can provide. Uh, the better program you have, sure. I think, and and where the coaches can, you know, do the teaching and um, preparing and things like that, and and so from my standpoint, I, I we don't we don't talk about you know just winning and losing a lot, it, you know, and and uh, those type of things to our players. We're we're pretty much a one game at a time um, system here that. Uh, you know we're going to get ready for WashU, and we're not concerned about conference play right now. Uh, and every day, if we come in and get a little bit better at practice, and every game, if we can learn something and become a better team uh, through the process, I think you're going to be a good team at the end of the year. And so I, I, I think all those experiences help the guys understand it's a motivation because, um, and I think anyone who's played in the tournament, it is such a neat experience to have that that motivates them, just, just that goal of trying to get back there and have that opportunity. 
Um, let's talk about the team. Victor Davis, 15.4 points a game, um, <clears throat> 6.4 rebounds a game. Andrew Zimnick, 13.8 and 5.0 rebounds a game. Uh, of course, he's averaging 2.6 assists a game. Dylan Overstreet, who's, Street, who's injured, we talked about being team being banged up a little bit, 13 points a game, uh, 5 rebounds a game, 5.5 assists a game. Uh, Alex Rossi's got 11 points. Pat Soderman uh, has 9 points a game. You, you certainly have a wide variety. You have five seniors on this squad, two of them leading the way with Davis and, and Zimnick. But you talk about the bang up and the and the beat up, and that's Overstreet right now and some other guys. Uh, Overstreet's only played two games. We should point out. Um, what, what's what's the makeup? You, we, we talk about the five seniors. You talk about these seniors not having any experience but playing in the NCAA tournament. But what about the rest of the guys? And and, and who are the guys that maybe are the unsung heroes, or the ones that even the best in the CCIW, uh, in the ten- sense of bloggers and posters who certainly keep their eye on things, may be missing as well? Well, you know, the first three guys you listed in Davis, Zimnick, and Overstreet are our three returning all-conference guys that, right. have, that have done it, and they give us um, terrific experience. Um, you know, it was a unique year that we, we had, uh, really, we graduated two seniors, one senior who played, uh, started Kevin Reed. Right. Um, and, uh, so you bring back a, a ton of guys who've played, you, you add some, a couple division one transfers in the mix, one of who got, got hurt first hour of practice and we're working him back into shape. Um, hope to get, uh, Jordan Nelson back pretty soon. Um, but the guys that, that I, I see are stepping in, you know, that, that have really stepped up, you know, a, a Bryce Dolan, who's a sophomore, backs up Dylan Overstreet. Uh, he stepped in and has, has really made great strides uh, here at the beginning of his sophomore season. Uh, Michael Mayberger is such a steady performer for us. He's a young man that has played every role you could ask for. Uh, he, he started some games for us. He's been the sixth man. He's been the ninth man. And he's just been that steadying guy that, as a coach, it's great to have on your roster because you know yeah. he's going to be ready to play at all times. Um, and and it, it really kind of our style of play, it's it's team basketball. You see it, you know, statistically you see it in the averages. Yep. Uh, you see it in the minutes. And uh, I think that makes it a very difficult style to play against because we have so many different guys that – can step up on any given night. I know we're only five games in, but the team's shooting 53% from the floor. They're 49% from beyond the arc. Um, you know, you're outscoring your opponents by 20. You're out-rebounding your opponents by about five a game. Um, you know, more assists than turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. Statistically, again, five games in, but with a beat-up squad, as you put it, you're, you're playing pretty good basketball. How do you keep that momentum after a 10-day layoff before playing Wash? How do you keep that momentum as you head into Chicago? How do you keep that momentum as you head into January and start CCIW play? Well, I think that these 10 days, are things, one of the things that we, we are fortunate about and I think our players realize because of our depth, we can have some uh, terrific practices <laughs> uh, where our guys, when you put Victor Davis against Andrew Zimnick, That's you've got fair. two six five, two hundred thirty pound guys going <laughs> at each other. In fact, we we limit when they, when they go against each other because they they are so competitive. There's not a lot of teams in the country that have that luxury of uh, guys being able to challenge each other like that on a daily basis. So we hope that the fact that they've been able to do that. 
um, you know, over these 10 days that maybe we won't feel the effects. I think experience that our guys have got so many games under their belt, um, again, that, that maybe the layoff won't be as big a deal. Uh, and, and then in terms of motivation, you know, with six seniors, you know, they're, they, and, and here's the thing, it's a unique group. You know, they're all about uh, the team. They're all about helping the team win. And, and there's such little ego in terms of, um, you know, caring who scores the points or who gets the rebounds that, you know, it just is, makes for a great culture to be a part of. It makes for, uh, you know, in terms of motivation, guys are going to come ready to play because everyone's pulling for each other. And I'm just, I, I, I'm just very fortunate to have these six seniors that are leading the way that set a culture and a standard within our program that, uh, I don't worry about, hey, are we going to be ready to go tonight? You know, this is the last go-around. I'm really um, enjoying coaching these guys one final season, and I know they want to go out with a bang. Um, before you go out with a bang, and obviously that would be Salem in mind, you got to get through this conference. Augustana is looking pretty strong this year. Wheaton, the talk has been pretty strong. North Central, not off to a great start. Though they lost a lot, though you never can sleep on them. Um, you know, Elmers, Carthage, Milliken. You know, the CCIW, you know, maybe in the last year or so, the bottom has not been as strong as it normally has been, but the top is always a, a dynamite conference. I'm not saying you're going undefeated, because clearly proving last year that that just does not happen. Um, I believe Champagne was sent to Coach Raritan, and I believe Miami Dolphins paid for it. Um, <laughs> but what do you got to do in this conference? How do you, what do you need to do? to position yourself just right, not only for the CCIW tournament, but also for an at-large if you need it? Well, we've always felt that if you can compete for a conference championship in the CCIW, you can compete on a national level. And so it does give you a gauge of where you at on a national level going through those seven yeah. Uh, seven weeks, and it's a grind. I mean, it's Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday for seven straight weeks, and those teams that can be consistent and give great effort over usually position themselves favorably. Yeah. Um, We've got a tough, tough road. Our first four games of the conference are on the road, and um, so, you know, early on we're going to be able to either set the table to kind of be the team that people are chasing or we're going to be digging out of a hole uh, because that's not an easy way to start with four road games. And so we've got to be on top of our game, you know, early in the new year, early in the conference season. And uh, and there's so many great rivalries and, and there's so much familiarity. You know, I, I think, um, you know, and I can't speak about other conferences, but I'll tell you this, there are some great coaches in the CCIW. And uh, you better be on the top of your game and prepared for each and every opponent because you know everyone's going to be giving each other their best shot. Yeah, you say four on the road there. Elmer's Augustana, North Park, Milliken before you turn around and play seven of the next ten at home, but Wheaton, North Central, and Carthage are the next three, two at home, one away. Of course, you got Franklin there at the beginning of January. They tripped you guys up at the end of December last season, so I know you're not sleeping on the Grizzlies either. Um, hey, Coach, appreciate you taking the time to join us here. Obviously, you didn't talk about it, but obviously a, a big win as you beat D2 Wyona State. Too bad that doesn't count on your record. Um, but certainly impressive there as well. I know that got some of the voters to turn their attention a little bit as well. But uh, and by the way, you can you never know. You might meet Hope uh, at some point this season if if everything 
shapes out. But uh, congratulations on the start to the season. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with us or anybody who may be tuning in? Well, as always, Dave, I, I appreciate you thinking about Illinois Wesleyan and having me on your show. You do a great job in terms of promoting uh, Division Three basketball. It's going to be another great season and, and excited to follow uh, you on D3 Hoops and all the action. Well, thank you, Coach. Uh, just so you know, I am expecting you in Salem. <laughs> well, Whether I'm you have your team there, or not. I'm not, say, I'm not going there, Dave, uh, but I, I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> but I did give you an out. Whether you bring your team or not, That's up. I still <laughs> want to see you in Salem. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Coach, thanks so much. Good luck the rest of the way. I'm sure we'll be talking about you. I know we will be talking about you, but hopefully we'll be talking to you on the show later in the season as well. Terrific. Thanks, Dave. All right, take care. Ron Rose joining us here from Illinois Wesleyan. The Titans, again, off to a 4-1 and one start. One loss to Loris. Uh, they play Wash U this weekend before taking another week off before playing Chicago. Two big games. We'll certainly keep an eye on the Titans. Uh, along the way. When we come back, uh, we will continue the, the theme as it is. We're going to talk to Bowden's men's basketball coach, won his 400th earlier this week. We'll talk to him about his team and the team start to, on a 5-0 and season. Of course, the NESCAC, another tough conference as well. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3 Hoops, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at D3 Hoopsville, or use the hashtag Hoopsville on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. And don't forget to also email us, Hoopsville at d3hoops.com. We'll be back right after this. Shortly after the interview with Carlo Berube when we went to break, we suffered a power outage at the Hoopsville Studios. As a result, the rest of the show did not make air. If you're interested in the other two interviews that we conducted with Eric Bridgeland of Whitman and Ryan Winnable of the Great Lakes Invitational, you can find them on our show page or on the podcast. You may have already listened to them. We apologize for the inconvenience of the power outage, not that we had any control over it, we certainly will look to see if there's ways of solving problems like that in the future. In the meantime, we hope to see you back here on Sunday evening as we get back on the air at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you then.